And welcome to episode 63 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. I am your slightly froggy host, Adam C. McKinnon, joined as often by my co-host, the Statmaster General, Jim Passon Jr., Jim. Made it to episode 63 already. Good grief. Did you know that Albert Pujols played in a Missouri stadium 63 times and it wasn't Bush Stadium? It was Kauffman Stadium. How about it? There you go. Yeah, See? He played his first game at Kauffman Stadium, which is actually his 63rd career game that he actually played, too. So 63, I guess maybe Albert Pujols was always just meant to be a Royals. Maybe, oh, oh, oh. maybe that's next. Eh? <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. Put him in a Royals uniform. They need to DH. Yeah. Don't they? they? Yeah. You know, <laughs> they should. Sure. need Carlos Santana anymore or whoever they got doing it. Yeah, now it's fine. Uh, joining us the, to talk about this and and so many more things is uh, is Bailey from Foolish Baseball making his record fourth RAB podcast appearance. Bailey, thank you for coming on, man. Does that put me at the top of the leaderboard? That puts you that puts you pretty comfortably at the at the top. I think. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, it moved you from first to first. Okay, good. I'm just trying to add my stats, you know. I think pretty. I think we get we got Newsbaum and Zimborski got some catching up to do. I think there are our, our repeat guests at this point. Um, but yeah, thank you yeah. for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. And um, I, first, I want to talk to you about um, you know I want to talk to you about the latest uh, news and notes. Uh, Jim uh, mentioned uh, the Angels. Uh, deciding that they are no longer in need of Albert Pujols' services. Uh, release Ooh. him. Yeah, I know. Ooh. Just release him. Uh, and albeit a, probably a sensible baseball decision, I mean, I guess, I, I, but really just kind of a crap decision in general. That's just my opinion. Bailey, what's your take on it? It's one of those things that you either wish they did earlier or not at all, I guess. Like, there was right. clearly a time when you realized that Pujols was just sort of a negative on that team and that, you know, with the, I guess it's the emergence of Jared Walsh that has really marked it for this year. But, you know, if they had decided to do this and, you know, the off season, for example, that would have given him ample time to try to link up with a new team. And now it's just, when you get cut like that in the, in May, it's, it's really tough because rosters are set, you know, and, and teams aren't, you know, expecting an Albert Pools to just come up free on the market. Right. Right. It's, it's, and it's, it, again, it comes back to yeah. me. Yeah. Albert Pujols, uh, not getting a farewell tour, I think, you know, five, six years ago. I mean, every time he went yeah, out the door, not quite the farewell tour you're looking for. Hey. Yeah. I, I would say his, if he gets a farewell moment, it, it won't top when he went to book in 19 and hit that home run that was really a kind of a wonderful sort of book into his career um in many ways right yeah it's it, it's it's fascinating to me because yeah it, it, we we talk about you know the the value of a player from a baseball perspective and and you know of course he wanted to play every day the roster's starting to get kind of jammed up the angels are not a contending team uh as it stands they've got a lot worse problems than albert pujols jamming up at bats but, you know, for me, it's, it's, oh, you know, they, they let go of Albert Pujols before they let go of Mickey Calloway. And there's so much to say about that from a non-baseball perspective. And I think reflects really poorly. And I, I, I said it uh, earlier this week. It's almost like they said the Rockies were like, we're going to be terrible. And the Angels were like, no, 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 no. Hold my beer. 
And, um, and I think, uh, I think it just reflects poorly, more poorly on the organization. Cause I agree with you, Bailey, like either do it before the season starts. Don't make a big deal about it. Cause th- there was that thing where his wife posted on his, on an Instagram that he was retiring, but he really wasn't. I mean, I get it, but why? You know, it's, I don't know. It's a tougher pill. I feel it's a tougher pill for me to swallow than I thought it would be, if that makes sense. And the right time to probably cut him was five years ago, though, right? <laughs> we're being, <laughs> we're being honest, yeah. right? I mean, you've had Mike Trout now for about a decade in LA and, uh, and you've, you've had Albert Pools for the same amount of time. And, uh, and maybe the first few years were fairly serviceable, but, I mean, his last five, he hasn't even had an OPS plus of a hundred or better. He's, it, yeah, been it's been long past due to get to this point. I just don't like the way that it happened. I don't like that Mickey Galloway still has a job either, but um, definitely long overdue. Um, but it's just you know it's sad for people that you know got to catch a glimpse of what we had with Albert Pools us the first decade that he was here, and and we just always would have loved to get another anywhere near that for another decade. That'd have been great, but. Yeah, got a soft spot in my heart, but right. it's been a while since we've had Albert Pujols be Albert Pujols. Bailey, I heard I heard uh, Ben Lindbergh uh, say that you know, and and I don't necessarily agree with the assessment, but it, I, I don't. It's almost like a backhanded compliment in a way, like that Pujols was the bridge between Bonds and Trout. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like, it, it, it's like, okay, well, he, he's more than a bridge. He's, he was like his own entity in that way. So mm-hmm. I, but at the same time, like it, that's a pretty good bridge. <laughs> it's yeah. not, it's not, not even be really a bridge, right? I mean, bonds and pools overlap fairly well, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, basically like Pujols was insane from 01 to 04, like, but not bonds level. And so basically after bonds finished that run, Pujols took over and Pujols, you know, statistically probably the best player of the two thousands. Um, it's like he would be one a and a rod one B or something like that. But right. yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that's pretty much a fair way of saying that basically, you know, for the entire 21st century, the best player in baseball was bonds, then Pujols, then trout. Yeah. It, um, with a little, with maybe a little Miggy Cabrera in there for a few years. Right. It's funny because, you know, he really did like Pujols' peak. You think about, you run down all the players and it's just like uh, Pujols, but Pujols, but Pujols. It's almost like that South Park episode. The Simpsons did it. It's like, you know, you run down the stats. You, oh, well, Pujols did it. Pujols did it, mm-hmm. you know, and I still come back to like, Talk, we talk about like David Ortiz as a guy that really impacted the postseason. Well, think about the Cardinals in 2011. Uh, you know, I know David Freeze and stuff like that, but think about Pujols jacking like well, I think he had four home runs in a in a World Series game. Uh, was it three? Okay, it was three or four. I couldn't remember if it was three or four. He had three home runs in a World Series game that same World Series with the Rangers. It's it, and then he, he destroyed Brad Lidge. Uh, I believe that's been documented somewhere. Uh, yeah, someone did something about that. <laughs> some nerd. Um, it's it's something where, like, you talk about a player and his impact on postseason baseball or just on the game in general. And I feel like we're, we're going to remember Pujols as, like, a really good dinner with a really bad dessert. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. uh, like, you know, like you ever, you, you, also, you have a beautiful, like wonderful surf and turf and then the souffle, you wait 40 minutes for the souffle and it comes out flat. 
And, and that's, that's how I feel like we're going to remember Pujols, unfortunately. I think the way I'll remember Pujols is like, just someone like he hit a lot of home runs. There was points where it looked like he could, you know, compete to break the all-time home run record. Right. But he was just such a complete hitter. Like his ability to just hit for average and not strike out is just something that hasn't really been seen in in the modern game. I think it's 2006. Uh, I'm not sure, but he had a year where he hit, I believe, 49 home runs and struck out 50 times, something like that. So basically, the same <laughs> amount of home runs as strikeouts. And that is a that's just something that doesn't exist at any level of affiliated ball anymore is someone who's capable of hitting, you know, about as many home runs as they strike out. And it really, it only, you know, happened with bonds. And then before bonds, you'd have to go back to Aaron to find a hitter capable of doing that. So that is a pretty, just like kind of amazing facet of his career is just, it was like, it was as if he was like this, you know, batting title contender who, you know, is always putting the ball in play, but, he also hit like 40 home runs a season and there was no trade-off. Right. And, you know, speed, you know, they, people say, Oh, he's the all time leader and ground into double plays. But part of that was because he was putting the ball in play. Like he was not going to give you the strikeout. He wasn't going to just concede the out to you as, as so often is done in, like you said, in the modern, in today's game, you know, we're talking about the last 20 years as strikeout rates continue to, outpace balls in play he was mm-hmm. an anomaly you talk about Ichiro as sort of the antithesis to the to the you know to early 2000s hitter I mean Albert Pujols in his own way was that too I believe Jim what do you I think agree. yeah I mean for me Pujols I, I mean it, it, without the foot injury right I mean if, even if he doesn't play another game at the moment he was when they let him go out of out of the Angels uh he was 29th on the active list for stolen bases. I mean, the guy was, he was a good fielder and he was a decent runner when he was younger. Right. And then the injuries took toll and then that gets you to the double plays record. Right. But I mean, for me, I think the one thing that's probably going to sit with me about Pujols probably until the day I die is the, is that he actually could have, I mean, he's tied for the second most MVPs, um, in, in history of baseball. Right. right. And, and I mean, he could have easily came, he could have easily taken bonds. Right. I mean, bonds was the reason why he didn't win a few of them. And then there was a couple more. I think he lost one to Braun, if I remember correctly, that he probably could have won. Um, but I mean, I think he had what four runner ups and then three MVPs. Yeah. He had I mean, one that, that maybe like the Ryan Howard year Pujols probably had like comparable numbers, if not better. Oh yeah. 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 And, and yeah, it just shows the subjectivity of that award, but another yeah, another show. That's a for big that. <laughs> that's a big difference, you know. I mean, talking about bonds and you know, I mean, if you leave the steroids thing, I mean, you're talking seven time MVP guy, always on base, could hit for average, could hit for power, and everything else. You should have the same exact conversation about pools, but if it wasn't for bonds, maybe you know, we 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 think about that with pools, even with the last half of his career being this that it was. It, you could still be like, man, he was the greatest of all time. Yeah. We yeah. might be able to say that if it wasn't for Bonds getting in his way of, of, you know, a few more trophies sitting on the stand. Well, I think, you know, with, you know, look, Garrick, it played, you know, pre-integration. It was a completely different game. But I think when you're talking about post-integration, like Albert Pujols is the greatest first baseman of post-integration MLB. Hands down. Uh, I think, you know, he has some competition there. You know, Frank Thomas stands out. But I think Pujols was, if you just go at it statistically, probably the best. Yeah, I think, uh, and you know, we're writing, it's like we're writing his eulogy, but 
you know, we he may he may land with a team, Jim. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but it's something where you know it, it's it's a un, you know you look at the past like few years of retirements in baseball of important players. Chipper Jones goes a year and gets like basically is you know his back padded everywhere he went. You go to uh, you know David Ortiz, you know Mariano Rivera. Uh, sobbing on the mound as Jeter and Pettit come out and pull him. It's one of these things where you, if there was anyone that deserved, and you know Cabrera will probably get his because the Tigers don't have any reason, you know, other than to keep him until his predetermined, uh, you know, exit. Uh, you you look at it and you if there was any guy that deserved a farewell tour, I know they're kind of hokey and goofy, or whatever, but like if there was any guy that deserved it, it had to be. Albert Pujols, right? Yeah, I mean, more career war than any foreign-born baseball player in the history of baseball. I mean, that doesn't get you a, a tour on your way out. I mean, right? He's got he's got more war than anybody else that was born outside of the United States, and he already pretty much had that before he ever left St. Louis. It's uh, the mark that he's left on the game. I, I don't think that the farewell is that was even anywhere close to being on its way to the equivalent of what his career meant to baseball and uh that's sad i think that uh when you have a career that was that good and stayed in a positive light like that i think you should you know kind of raise that up and celebrate that i think that's that's great for baseball yeah any any final thoughts on pujols uh, bailey um, you know, he's a Juco legend. You got to throw that out too. Uh, yeah. Maple Woods Community College, <laughs> Kansas City, Missouri. It's pretty remarkable. He was, uh, he was not a top prospect, you know, coming out, uh, and look what he's done. Right. Yeah. I, I, for me, I'd like to just, he had, he got a lot of his, um, a lot of his good career was at the beginning of his career. Right. So the most played appearances that he had against, actual hall of famers also came at the beginning of his career also because they're already in the hall of fame right so if you add up the the four players that the four pitchers that Pujols faced the most which is maddox johnson glavin and smoltz you put that together you get 128 plate appearances that Pujols <laughs> slashed 381 414 771 against those four crazy guys i mean it's that, no, that no big deal. Pool holes, <laughs> yeah, that prime pool holes battling it up against future Hall of Famers at the beginning of his career and lining up and, and hitting like that against those guys. It was just, I'm old enough to at least, you know, it was a treat for me. I got to watch it. I, was, um, I feel sorry for the, the young kids like Jeremy Frank who <laughs> were were born the same year that Pujols <laughs> made his debut. He's not even so, verified. Uh, He's not even verified. Who cares? Who cares what he thinks? Yeah, he should get that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I could talk about pools all day long. I mean, the, what the two people in the in Major League Baseball that have more walks than strikeouts as active players, and the other one is Luis Arias, who's only got like I don't know six hundred PAs in his career, right? Versus pools has got like over 12,000. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's just an amazing player that he's, I'm just going to miss, you know, I'm just going to miss having him on the field, even though he isn't that great. Yeah. Well, and uh, we just may. So, uh, because here's, here's what's happening next. So right now um, we, uh, we, we have been assigned the fictional task 
or maybe the real life task. You know, uh, if uh, Dick Monfort listens to this show, maybe he does. Maybe this is where he's been getting all of his vi- advice, which I strongly advise that you stop. Um, so explains a lot. (laughs) (laughs) We have been assigned as the committee to rebuild the Rockies. And honestly, quite, quite frankly, nobody wants this job. I have checked. And, uh, based on the, uh, small results of our Twitter poll, uh, there's no one who wants (laughs) to take the Rockies under the condition that they get at least one LCS appearance this decade. So, Let's 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 hash this out here. So uh, no real terms have been set down here, but uh, Bailey, Jim, our goal is to is to rebuild the Rockies, is to take this this destitute, poorly run organization and and try to try to make a potential winner out of this. And uh, so I want I'm just curious. I've got my uh, my thoughts, but I want to know uh, and I'll start with Bailey. What should, what's the approach? If you're, if, if you're part of this committee here, what, what is your approach to try to get this franchise on the right track? I think the biggest thing is you have to play course field baseball. And that means finding players that can play well in course field specifically. It is such an anomaly in the grand scheme of MLB stadiums. You have to find a way to turn what has historically been a disadvantage for them into an advantage. And so I think it would just, you know, just as a broad overview, I would say look for, you know, pitchers that have the stuff that can work in cores, you know, guys who throw low spin, fastballs, um, but with a lot of velo, guys who throw a lot of sliders. And then look, you know, defensively, you know, look for rangy outfielders because you have the biggest outfield to deal with as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jim, Jim, what's your yeah. what, what's your first thought on that? Yeah, for me, I think it I think it begins a little bit earlier than that. I think it's got to go all the way down into the minor league system. I think uh, as the new Rockies uh, management, I think we've got to we've got to build a better uh, minor league. And that's basically not really changing how you're drafting or anything to that extent. I think it's how you're treating your players. All right. We're looking for the right type of players that can make it to to Colorado and play at the in, in that type of stadium. But you know, pay your players better, feed them better, do something that nobody else is already doing. You're going to have to build these players up to want to be a Rocky, even though they know they're about ready to step on the most dangerous field they have to pitch on or field on and play on. I mean, it's just ridiculous what the numbers do to you there, especially if you're a hitter and you get the hangover effect from leaving. If you're a pitcher, well, you just, you're with the Rockies, you're going right. to have a bad day, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. But I think if you build it up from, from the bottom up and, uh, and you make it someplace that these people are proud to be, I think, uh, I think that's where I would start. I think you just change how the culture of the, of the organization is ran so that the players are just that they're, they can be the best that they can be. Cause I think when you get to the major league level, these guys are pretty much a lot closer to each other than we think, you know, when we think skills. And I think that's where I'd go. Cult, the, the gym, the, taking the culture approach. I, I actually really dig that, I think. Well, because it's part of the deal, right? Like, if we, can't, if we can't get people to come play, it doesn't matter. It's hard to play for the Rockies. It really right. is. And I, <laughs> I think, it, to me, if you can get people to be happy to play for the Rockies, uh, like they did when they first became a team, because, I mean, those guys look like they had a blast doing it, Helton and Castilla and Galarraga and right. the gang, right? So, um yeah, I mean, I think that 
you, you try to get back to that because those were the winning ways and, and that's fun baseball. And, and I think everybody enjoys fun baseball that leads to butts in the stands and that leads to money in the pocketbook so that maybe we could recoup that $50 million. We just burned this last off season. Right. It was kind of like remind me that scene in the dark night where the Joker just lights the pile of money on fire. It might as well have been Nolan Arenado cigar that did it. Um, so I think, I think, for me, I, I agree with all of that. I think it starts for me on the field, and and just it, it reminds me a little bit. And Bailey, you you probably remember this, uh, twenty fourteen. You know, uh, I think it was twenty fifteen opening day. Twenty fourteen was a was a bloodbath in Atlanta. Hayward's gone. Uh, everyone's gone. Uh, Upton was gone. Um, both Uptons, thankfully. And then the you know Craig Kimbrell's out, and and so it was just a complete teardown. And so the, for me, it starts by just rooting out some of this, uh, and it's not like bad culture and that's not to, to cast aspersions against Trevor story or Herman Marquez or anything like that, but to just kind of build from the ground up on the field. And, uh, part of that deals with some aggressive transactions. And, uh, so I'm just going to like straight up say like, you got to trade anyone that anyone recognizes on your roster right now. They need to go. And uh, some of this is going to be easier than others. Um, I will I will lead off with a transaction. Like you've got two major transactions here and they, you know, you've got, but they're not in order of importance is probably the part that people aren't thinking about. So for me, of course you have Trevor story, but the most important trade you can make is Herman Marquez. Because Trevor Story is going to get you in a Manny Machado, Mookie Betts type situation. You're either going to get a bucket of like nobody cares prospects, or you're going to get a couple of high end prospects. I mean, the Rockies system is, I think it was 27th in baseball, according to MLB.com. It's it's not, uh, not, most of their talent is at high A. For me, I'm looking at double A, triple A type of prospects that can at least like build up and be ready for when the current talent gets there. So, uh, and, and and I know you guys have thoughts on this too. I'm gonna just jump into the le- to the least important of the two here, and then I'll throw it over to you, Bailey. Um, I think mm-hmm. uh, when I'm shopping for partners in a Trevor Story trade, I want to look at somebody that can give me a little bit in return. I love the Miami Marlins for a deal like this. I, you know, the, you're talking about a team with Jeter, Kimming. You know, the NL East is an absolute like comedy show right now. The Marlins may see an opening here with all that young pitching. So I, I'm going to send Trevor Story to the Marlins for um, for a couple of prospects. Uh, Lewin Diaz, he's a power hitting uh, first baseman. Uh, Evan Fitterer. Now he's number 26 on the Marlin system, but he would at a future value 45 would be a top 10 Rockies prospect. <clears throat> you throw that in and then, then give me Ross Detweiler on top of it and move him back to the rotation because why the hell not? Um, I think that's, that's the type of return. You know, he's going to eat some innings because you're about to move Marquez and gray. So um, I'm sure this had crossed your mind too, Bailey. What do you, what do you, what do you think about what to do with Trevor story? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with you in terms of just they've got to move on a lot of these guys and, and just try to get whatever prospects they can 
back. Um, this is in the rebuild that I think is going to, you know, be kind of like a retooling while remaining competitive type thing. I think it is kind of ground up and it's going to take quite a few years. And especially when you look at just how stacked the rosters are in the NL West right now. And, and it's not just the Dodgers and the Padres, the giants look good. The D backs have some guys. This is a tough division to compete in regardless of what team you are. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you, you know, and I do agree that, that Marquez is kind of the more important deal because he holds the highest trade value of anyone on the Rockies, uh, right. in my opinion. Um, so I'm going to go on into a similar transaction. I'm not going to trade Marquez, but I am going to trade someone like Story, who um, has contributed a lot to the team and who has a contract expiring, uh, and that would be John Gray. Mm-hmm. John Gray's been, honestly, one of the better pitchers in Rockies history. Um, he's done quite well for them, and and I would be also worth pointing out that he's done quite well this season. Um, he's, you know, So he is, if anything, raising his potential trade value to a suitor that would want to see kind of an audition of what John Gray would look like outside of course, you know, I, I could see a team trading for John Gray and then trying to extend him uh, if he does well in said audition. Um, we've mentioned the angels and their many problems, um, you know, chief among them being pitching, right. You know, they've, they kind of go in and they try to, they don't sign Trevor Bauer, but they're like, let's get Quintana and see if that works. And let's get, you know, I think they got a team ERA of like five and a half or, or more, yeah. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they could always, they could just always use another arm, you know, and, and John Gray could be that for them for sure. I don't think he necessarily fixes all their problems, but he, he obviously helps the rotation. Um, so the bones of this trade would be to trade John Gray to the angels. And when I think about who the angels, uh, have in return that could help the Rockies, I think the biggest standout would be Jordan Adams, uh, mm-hmm. who's actually there, uh, you know, depending on which prospect list you look at, he, he's going to be top 10. He could even be, you know, as high as like three, but the bones of it would be to trade gray. And then maybe they would need a, you need another reliever to reach that threshold. Maybe you need to send like a Daniel Bard or a Michael Givens or, you know, Robert Stevenson's off to a decent start. You know, they could send him over too, but yeah, I would trade John gray for Jordan Adams. And I choose Jordan Adams because he's 21. He has kind of had this unlucky stretch where, because of COVID in 2020, no minor league season, he's been a pro for a while, but he doesn't have a lot of plate appearances. And he has crazy tools, but he needs reps, basically. Um, but what he does have is insane foot speed um, and thus potential for insane range. And I think when you're looking at cores, when you're looking at that center field position, that is something you have to absolutely nail is to get a good defensive center fielder out there. You know, they extended Blackman uh, when he was playing center. He's a great hitter for that park. He's not a great defender for that park. And so I think to get a defensive fit, someone with a really high ceiling as a prospect, I would I would try to trade for Jordan Adams. And also, you know, the Angels, you know, let's face it, they have Trout locked up long term. They have Marsh. They have Joe Adele. You know, if, if Adele, Marsh, Trout is their outfield of the future, then that kind of leaves Adams uh, out. So they right. could you know, that could be what a move they go for. Deshaun Knowles as well is a pretty big outfield prospect for them. Right. They have, they have options and that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, Jim, you floated an idea right before we came on. I, I, I think would be, I think it'd be a great idea in the short term. Talk to me. 
I think uh, just go out and you sign our buddy Albert Pujols. Get that done right <laughs> off the bat. Let's get the fans back on our side. Let's have a show. We're not winning it this year, right? It's just for the rest of the year. Let's see if we can get some rocky home runs. Let's celebrate Pujols' career and uh, let's you know uh, have a little bit of fun with that as we're working on our rebuild, right? I mean, you guys definitely are, are hitting kind of where – I think the team needs to go, right? They need to take the assets that they have and they, they need to try to find a way to make the future brighter with it, right? Um, for me, if I'm going in a different direction, right? Say maybe you're trying to get this uh, NLC, NLCS maybe within the three to four years instead of just trying to reach it by the end of a decade. And then I think you're looking more at a team that's got to uh, it's got to look a little bit more like Kansas City from like the mid 2010s, right? Mm. I mean, I'd be looking for working with those guys, right? Looking for like an Adalberto Mondesi or um, Nick Madrigal oh or something like that. Yeah. Some, I'd love to yeah, see yeah, Nick I mean, Madrigal play. He's like just spraying hits all over Coors Field. Yeah. Exactly. I he think would hit need, 380. <laughs> I think you need to be fast out there, right? I think oh, yeah. you can get a good deal. I mean, if, if you could get a hold of something like Alda Beltramondesi and Michael A. Taylor and, you know, dump off Trevor Story to get that to happen, um, I, I like that move. I think maybe you go out and get our good friend Jeff Mathis and get him to start teaching framing. I mean, pitching is going to be always going to be tough there. Framing is going to be one of the ways that you can at least help the pitching staff. That's going to be at a complete loss for always being in that park. Um, so I, maybe throw, investing on that's a brilliant idea. And I would submit to you, Jim, that we need to call somebody needs to find Tyler flowers phone number right now. Get and, it done. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, the Get framing Austin hedges in a place where he belongs. <laughs> the framing so, extraordinaire. Yeah. And, um, and I, I think those would be the types of things that I'd be looking for just to try to get the impact to be a little bit quicker, right? Just to, I know it's hard to get MLB ready talent, especially if you don't have a good farm system, right? So maybe you are trying to use up, you know, Marquez or Gray or Story or all of them to, to try to build something that works for that stadium. It's not going to be a simple task, but I think as uh, as the years go by, I think you end up being able to, you know, maybe you get to steal like a Kershaw and, and bring him in or something like that on on a end of years contracts and stuff like that that could possibly help. I don't, yeah, I, I'm really kind of at a loss on 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 what to do with a team that had the right pieces in place. It seemed like, especially when you talk about Nolan Arenado and having an extra 50 million bucks already sitting in your bank account. You, you had a pretty dang good start. I wish I could get that start back. Right. It, Can we just undo that, that trade to start con, this whole thing? Control Z. Um, yeah. You know, you know, it's interesting too. And you're making me rethink something here. Um, another transaction that I thought about and, and uh, Bailey, I'm sure you have thought. So I'll, I'll compare notes with you on, on a, on a Herman Marquez transaction. Um, I initially had, Herman Marquez this is a guy under team control. He's 27. He's under team. He's under control through 2024. And he's another guy like that. Like you talk about John Gray. He really did have the, uh, really did an outstanding job striking hitters out in the thin air course field. Herman Marquez, I think took it even a step further, not necessarily with the strikeout extremes of gray, but consistent returns. I mean, yeah, he get, he has the tendency to kind of get shelled every once in a while, but if you were to even things out a little bit, Marquez could be a front end starter for a lot of teams. And that's why I was, uh, I was pairing up with the Atlanta Braves 
for Herman Marquez. And Braves Twitter, the few friends I have on it are going to hate me for some of the names I'm about to mention here, but I'm going to roll with it anyway. Um, I would love, I would love to, so Tucker Davidson is a name that comes up. Uh, and, and let me start before I go into it. So Herman Marquez controllable pitcher, you're going to want the, you're going to want some high end prospects in return, or you're going to want some prospects, maybe not high end, but guys that have big ceilings or that fit your park that play course field baseball. So, um, Tucker Davidson, you know, he's, he's a solid reliever. He's going to possibly be somebody that could set up the back end of your bullpen for some time. Um, he, another guy that I love for this is Bryce Ball. And those of you that are familiar with the big man, Bryce Ball, this motherfucker is like a se- seven foot Paul Bunyan style giant with like a 70 grade power tool that just absolutely like commits hate crimes against baseballs. And he is relatively unknown. He thinks he's at high a he's, he's a guy that just, you know, his, his stock will never be higher than it is right now as a prospect. I don't think, um, you know, he, there are some holes in his game. Uh, there's some question of whether or not that game, that power is going to translate to the higher levels. Um, but he, if he, you put a dude like that with that raw power in Coors field, you're not the Rockies. If you don't have an absolutely mashing first baseman, I'm talking like Todd Helton era. You, you, there's a lot of ways you can fix the, some of the defensive problems, but you got to have somebody that can rake at first base. So just give me somebody that can hit the, that can put in the cleanup spot and forget about it. And Bryce ball has that potential. Uh, but you need to send a major league piece. And I had Johan Camargo in this spot at, before we started talking. And then as soon as Jim started talking, I thought, what about our dude Ender in Ciarte? The Braves do not have space for him anymore. He's a subpar bat, but maybe that subpar bat goes to like, you know, your 80 rated, your 80 WRC plus turns to 90 and if you can be a plus defender in an outfield like that, maybe you don't play center, but you put him in left field or something like that. He could be somebody that could, uh, it reminds me a little bit of the Braves uh, rebuild trades where you would get one sort of like fine major leaguer, but the real return was in the prospects. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then of course, maybe you get a competitive draft pick or something like that, you know, to kind of even things out. Um you know, uh, Bailey, what, what are your thoughts on something like that? Well, interesting, you know, you left off, you talked about those trades where you get kind of an okay major leaguer, but in the real prize is the prospect. You watch Huascari Noah. Yeah, that's true. Like, like I came from a high made Garcia deal. Like that's crazy. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like I agree with the, the like philosophy. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if I agree on the valuation, Sure. Um, which is to say that I think if the Rockies traded Marquez, they would have to get a lot more prospect capital than that. I think just with the way he's valued, with the way his contract is structured, I think that they would probably get at a minimum like a top 50 prospect nationally. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, if the Braves were to trade for Marquez, it would probably start with like um, Drew Waters or someone like that. Um, wow. But okay. yeah, but that, so I think that's, Maybe we're not seeing eye to eye is is the valuation of Marquez where we are seeing eye to eye definitely is just sort of the philosophy. 
Yeah, I, I, I could see. And, you know, that's fair, too, because I'm always a little hesitant to like uh, to say like and that's not my love for the Braves minor league system. But in general, when you're talking about pitchers uh, going out of course field, there's a lot of unknowns. Now, I do agree, though, that part of it could be rather than betting on upside, like maybe, maybe Marquez does return you that sort of, and there's no such sure thing as prospect in prospect world, but as close to a sure thing as you can. So the Rockies only have one player in the top 100 and their system is just, just barren. So I would think if we were on the same committee, I would agree with you and say, all right, let's start somewhere with like a high end, you know, I'd be maybe I'm getting on the phone with Tampa instead of Atlanta. Maybe I'm getting on the phone with, uh, you know, Kansas City. Maybe I'm getting on the phone with uh, some other team, San Diego. Maybe, maybe not in San Diego, but you know, something along the maybe San Diego. I don't know somewhere, some team yeah. that has that really high end, top heavy far or Seattle. Seattle was the first team I looked at. Maybe you know, you know, maybe Taylor Trammell's shooting too low. Maybe maybe you talk about Kalenic. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, in Seattle, you know, they have Kyle Lewis, uh, Taylor Trammell, Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kelnick. You know, that again, that's four outfielders for three spots. So, right. You know, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to be out man out. And then you just take mm-hmm. the one with the with the best defense. I mean, you know, they're all great prospects. But like like you said, you know, maybe you pair that toolsy outfielder with a just mashing lower minors level uh, sort of, uh, sort of prospect. So I could see something like that. Yeah. You're basically, you're looking for being able to trade major league talent when we're talking to Marquez or gray or talking about Trevor story and expecting in return, at least one high end, uh, prospect, right. Hopefully at a double a triple a level. And then you're hoping at least for, I mean, a small handful of, you know, uh, flyers right i mean shots in the dark that you feel like you know your scouting group is thinks that they're worth it worth throwing in there because i think the one thing that this organization needs is that when they go and and trade off one of these players yeah you want somebody back that's got a future ahead of them but you're also going to need multiple players you're just going to need something to break free for you you're going to and and the best chance of that is to to instead of getting you know, two or three prospects back out of one guy, get four or five. Right. I think, uh, it's, it's just a tough situation because you only have so many trade chips when you're, when you're the Rockies and then your trade chips are sitting in the minor leagues, at least not at any higher levels. So all your trade chips are sitting in the major leagues and that's where we're trying to win a, we're trying to win a division and, and make it to the world series. Right. So, um, it's just not a good situation at all. What Absolutely. You- like, you know, so I sort of proposed, you know, I've proposed a lot of like one for one type, you know, get the one of the top prospects. But maybe the truth is, if you're the Rockies and the system doesn't have the depth, you're better off trading for four or five guys with a 45 future value than one guy with a 55 future value. You know, right No, it, yeah. you, and you, then maybe you get lucky and you you hit a couple of those lottery tickets and then you, and you turn and turn that into a 55 while you're still working with the other two guys that you got off that deal. I mean, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to have to be a very active uh, management, right? I mean, I think you're, you're going to have to stay consistently wheeling and dealing. You're going to have to look like uh Depoto for like half a decade straight, just always involved in any hearings, any talks. And, and this is the hardest part. I think being in the NL West 
is because you have to time it correctly. You know, you, you don't want to peak while the Dodgers are still dominant or while the Padres are, you know, at their peak. You know, you, it's almost like you need to time it in a way where you're ascending as maybe the other teams are plateauing or descending. So that's, and for me, the hardest part when I actually like took a look at all of this, I thought to myself, I was like, so do I, do I shoot for the riskier, because it's always riskier going for the low miners, the sort of entry level, I, I call only call them entry level in terms of their progression uh, prospects, but maybe they need that extra time. I need a couple of years here to, uh, you know, maybe, maybe guys in AAA ready to break through. Maybe those aren't as ideal. They're safer, but maybe they're not as ideal because we, I need more time. I don't want to waste the peak production of these players while I'm shooting for third place. Like I need a lot of these other teams sort of fall. And that, <clears throat> that to me was the hardest part of looking at this is timing. And so like, I wonder, it, it, you know, are you shooting for, and it sounds like based on the deals, like we're looking for more, you know, field ready talent, but are we, are we considering like, is there an approach to this? Because you look at like the Astros in 20, you know, they went really position player heavy. You look at the Braves, they went all in on pitching during their rebuild. Is there a side of the fence that you fall on, not just in say hitting or pitching, but in terms of what level you target for something like this, uh, what do you think, Bailey? Yeah, well, I think, you know, you're looking for tools, uh, probably over production at this point. Um, and I do think you are looking for more of those high variance prospects who, you know, especially given no minor league season 2020, you know, may have very little experience, may, you know, be in the lower minors because, Look, don't get me wrong, like some of these guys in the upper minors that have a more established track record, like, you know, they would be seen as having a much higher major league floor. But I actually agree. I think just in general for them, what makes sense is trying to get those lottery tickets, basically. And I think to some extent they did do that with the Arenado deal. You know, everyone was like, who are these prospects? But, I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, that's kind of a little bit of their reasoning was probably that philosophy of, hey, let's try to get – some guys with really high variance, you know? Right. Right. And you know, Jim, I, you, you hit on it and you mentioned it with the Pujol signing, but you know, what, at what point do we, you know, when we're looking at a rebuild with something like this, there's gotta be something to, uh, show some excitement. There's gotta be, there's gotta be something to generate some buzz around the league. When you, what do you think is step one? I mean, you know, like let's let's say we sign Pujols. Okay, that's great. Pujols is gone after the one. We're not yeah, yeah, one year day. Nah. Yeah, but but how do you how? Well, what he could is, be the manager after right? he retires, he, so we're oh, going to keep on. Yeah, you, you just, hold on to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'll be the hitting coach before yeah. the Mets, so the Mets don't get a hold of him and then fire him. That's so. right. Um, like, what do you think? Yeah, like what? You know, it's a good point. Like, what is the move here? What is there? Is there a move in the dugout? Is there a move on the field? Like, how? What do you think is the buzz generator here? Well, I think the Rockies. I mean, they've had one of the better social media accounts over the last few years, also, right? I think uh, you got to have players that that are uh, they're they're not just marketable. They're 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 
this is a this is a pretty good fan base, right? I mean, Rockies don't get enough credit for what their fan base really is. It covers a lot of territory that doesn't really have a lot of people in, but it covers a lot of territory. And these guys have never finished like in the back half of uh, of attendance in the National League in like the last decade or so. And I mean, it's it's they they still got people coming to the games over and over. The fan base is there. The fan base just needs something to talk about. They need the buzz, right? And I think you got to get a hold of some of these players that we've talked about that that either they got power, right? And you can easily, you know, start building commercials around that and putting up, you know, posters around the stadium and getting selling jerseys and getting everybody jacked up, chanting MVP chants for somebody. You get fast players and you can build commercials off of that. And it's just any way to get the, the this fan base that is already just completely dedicated to this team already to just have something to just go nuts about and just to go crazy about. And I think if you put together a product that in a couple of years is at least a 500 team uh, and working towards it, possibly being a division contender. um, I think the fan base is there. You, you, You hit it, market it right. So that it's getting to them. And then Manfred's just going to change the playoff system to at least six teams from every league in winning the division. Isn't the only way in, right? There's going to be a few wild card spots here pretty soon. So, and I think as long as you can get a ticket to the postseason, you've got yourself your chance that you're looking for. Give me the the purple sleeveless jerseys, the purple. Yeah. Right. I mean, just, just go bonkers. Just have some fun with it. I mean, that's what we're learning about baseball right now that we're still trying to get through, right? I mean, there's still people that just don't like bat flips. I don't know why, but they just don't, right? But we're learning to have more fun with the game. And I think the the more fun that the fans are having, the more fun that the players are having, I think that type of environment leads to winning, right? I mean, and it goes all the way back to what I said at the beginning, build that character into the into your team and in your minor system and just the whole farm system and the whole franchise works in that manner jacked up fans good signings right they don't have to be the greatest of signings you just have to have that, that hum right that that thing that made the 2017 astros pretty good besides that trash can thing. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> minor, that, that buzz. I mean, everybody loved watching that team. I mean, you can go, I mean, I wanted to get tickets to the Mariners just so I could watch Jose Altuve hit like 400 on the road that year. It was bonkers, man. It was just a buzz around it. They all played better. I think that's what, that's what we need to do with the Rockies. Yeah. Get them back to their winning ways. I agree. So, uh, Bailey, any, uh, any any parting thoughts here on what we should do with the with the from the uh, what we should do with this franchise here? Yeah, I just think you have to be patient and you have to be very cognizant of what your timeline is. Um, and you know, I that definitely stands out. And another thing, you know, just to bring on home what Jim said, like this team does have fans. You know, like this, there's there's money to be made here. Denver's a place that everyone wants to move to if they're not already there, and. Um, People, people care about the team. They might not be hardcore, but they care enough to go to the ballpark and enjoy themselves, regardless of whether the team's winning or losing. You know, if they're the worst team in the league, they're usually middle of the pack in attendance. If they're a good team, they're usually towards the top. And that's what makes them sort of uniquely different from the other expansion teams, you know, from the last 30 years or so. This is not financially a team like the Marlins right. or the Rays. So even though the Marlins and Rays have won more than them, you know, succeeded more in the playoffs than them, uh, you know, people, people like the Rockies. And so I think 
you know, try to make yourself a little bit more likable. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's, it, it's a, it's a top down total organization overhaul and it's just showing the fans the respect, you know, of just putting, it's not beyond putting a product on the field. It's making it a place to go. I think a significant amount of money goes into trying to just make course field a little bit more of a, more of a destination for fans and maybe a little more of an attractive destination for, for players. I, I honestly, if there's a name brand, if there's, there's going to be like a two year period, if you're a name brand player and you're not terrible and you're like, you know, you're on your way out, get your pen ready. I want to, I want you on my team because look, I'm not going to win anyway. You know, I'm not going to beat the Dodgers in 2023, uh, it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to beat the Padres in 2024. So you know what? If you are, I don't know, if you if you are a free agent or if you are a, a, a team dying to get rid of a fat contract and you have some draw, I want you in purple for like a one or two year period. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just try to make it more of a destination, not just for, for fans, but for players too. So, because like you know, you said it earlier, it's it's hard enough playing in Coors Field. So, um, the the committee and to I, rebuild the Rockies, uh, Jim. Sorry, go ahead. I, and I think this committee. I think we need to also look at what happens to that stadium during the winter time. I think we try to keep the snow uh, pushed off to the side, and we just hold home run derbies all winter long. Yes, <laughs> I mean, cold thin air, just. Bring up college sluggers and just let them slug, man. Let's have some let's have some fun with that and uh, and yeah, put some more butts in the seats even if there's snow on them. I love it. Well, uh, uh, Bailey, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to to have you come on and talk to us, man. It's it's a it's a blast and we appreciate it. I know you got a new video that just came out, right? Just uh, yeah, on Saturday. Saturday. So it's, uh, you know, you're just, I, this is typically the time where I'm like, Hey, where can people find you? What are you doing? What are you up to? But like, you're, you know, you, you are how people find us. So I'm not, <laughs> it seems yeah. kind of a fraud exercise. I'm just going to tell everyone to check out romantic about baseball, even though they're listening to it, I could say, go listen to an episode <laughs> that doesn't have me even, you know, that's true. You make up a, you make up a significant percentage of our catalog. You make up a, like more than a Nick Madrigal strikeout percentage rate of our episodes at this point. So, uh, we really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thanks for coming on Bailey. Appreciate it. <laughs>